Hey folks, John here from AS for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Kim Hill. Uh, she is a sober runner. Two of my favorite things and two of my often most frustrating loves. Um, so it was great to talk to her to get her perspective on both of these things as they are um, both vastly different from mine and uh, extremely similar. It's the paradox and the dichotomy of both of these things, um, such as life. But it was great to hear um, her program, her approach, and her uh, her way of getting through sobriety, getting through recovery, getting through a run, and more importantly, getting through the injury and the suffering and the pain um, that comes when we don't process what we are going through and finding a way to do just that. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Kim Hill. Good morning, Kim, or good afternoon, wherever you might be. Thank you so much. Afternoon. Yes. <laughs> um, I appreciate you doing this. I know it's, uh, it's, it's a chunk of time out of your day, and it's not always the easiest thing for people to talk about. Some sometimes more than others, but um, you know, I think it's I think it's important. Uh, I hope that it's helpful. It's it's certainly helpful to me, and it's certainly important to me to hear what you have to say today. And um, you know, in the most self serving way, that's kind of part of why I really enjoy doing this with people is you know for my own sanity. And so I assume that <clears throat> perhaps somebody else will feel a little less crazy <laughs> by listening to this. Um, so I found you on Instagram through running page. Cause I have, I have multiple Instagram accounts as people do not for necessarily, um, any sort of shady reason. Like I'm not, but I also <laughs> felt like, like I didn't need to lump it all in one. And I felt like diversifying it made sense to me, but, um, we both run or I haven't, I haven't in a little while here, but, um, but we're also both sober. And so I was very, I'm always very excited to hear from somebody who's also a runner and who is sober. So um, I'm wondering how that came about with you. And I always like to hear people's earliest memories of alcohol and alcoholism, theirs or, or whomever's. So thank you for having me. I'm really mm -hmm. excited to be here, by the way. So thanks for this opportunity for me sharing my story. Um, I think for me, my early, I'll start with my earliest um, interaction with alcohol. I was two years old and my, <laughs> my grandma um, from, you know, was born and raised from you know in Ireland and you know came over to like my family came over to America um from that side of the family and the tradition was to rub whiskey on baby's gums as they are teething so she poured a little cap um or poured some whiskey into a little cap and I grabbed the cap and I took a shot of whiskey at two years old didn't I didn't know right mm -hmm. way back then about it so that sure. was probably my very very first interaction of, and I don't remember this. Right. This is what my family tells me because I was two years old. So that is my very first interaction with alcohol. Was that early? Yeah, that's 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 crazy to me. And I mean, I guess it's 
<clears throat> to each his own, right? And I've seen, I've had uh, women come up to me and I worked in a hotel bar for a while and they were giving their children sips of wine. And, um, you know, maybe that's a better way to go. I was a little shocked at first, you know, cause I'm working in a bar and as a professional setting, like I can't have minors drinking, but also it's your child. So maybe it's okay. I don't know, but it seems yeah. <laughs> a little much. Yeah. I would say these days, probably extreme, right. I, mm-hmm. I guess back in the old days, right. Like right. that's a, was common to use whiskey or rum or whatever to numb a teething child's gums. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, so when did you find it to be something that you indulged in? I was probably, um, I think it was 16 when I started to really, you know, socially drink, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, going to underage parties and really enjoying those Bartles and James Berry wine coolers. (laughs) I remember those. Um, Back in the day. Um, So I would say it started then and it was like, it was underage parties. And, um, you know, I, I drank socially probably out, you know, without ever thinking I had a problem, right? Probably until um, I moved to Wisconsin in 2007. And um, if you, the state of Wisconsin drinking is a religion here. It is embedded in every cultural activity you can think of. Alcohol is here and available 24 seven. And I moved here in 2007 after going through a divorce um, and I kind of just dove right in head first into the culture. Um, I probably would say I didn't really start having issues um, or recognizing that I had a problem until um, 2019. Um, I had major knee surgery in January of 2019. I actually had a cartilage transplant of my kneecap. And it shut me down from being active for 10 months. And I didn't um, know what to do with myself. I, you know, had been struggling with depression on and off for quite some time and anxiety and um, going through a lot personally, like my father had died 10 years ago and like just the ins and outs of just always not processing my emotions. I... And being shut down from running, which has been always a significant part of my life, or just being active in general, I started self-medicating with alcohol and with food, Mm. Um, like blackout weekend activities. I I never drank on the weekdays because that was work, right? Those were work days. So I I was like, oh, I was like, I don't have a problem because I only drink on the weekends, right? And that drinking was blackout drunk every weekend. So you made a good, you made an interesting point. There's, um, you said, I didn't start having consequences or I didn't start recognizing that I was having consequences. And I think that is such a crucial thing as far as the blind spot, the huge epic blind spot that we live with for years, if not decades as alcoholics you know, the, the little moments that I have, the memories I, I have, and I go, my God, that should have been a red flag. That wasn't, but that was just right? another Tuesday morning. Um, right. 
and it's just crazy. So, so 16 Bartles and James, um, and you're going on and you said you moved to, to Wisconsin in 2007. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you've been there for a little while. Um, when did consequences begin to take over the fun of drinking? it was 2019 as well. Okay. Um, again, the so January was my surgery. Fast right. forward to September of 2019, I went in for my annual physical, and my doctor like was reviewing all my blood work, and she basically told me I was writing myself an early death certificate if I didn't, and I needed to get my shit together. Um, my blood work was like my liver count level, like every level under the sun was, was atrocious. And what was more concerning is my glucose and my sugar. Um, I was, she diagnosed me as being pre-diabetic and she, she's like, do you have a problem? And like, I broke down in her office and I said, I need some help. Yeah, And that was the turning point. That was the, the turning point for me to, I mean, all along, like you said, these red flags, you know, they were in your peripheral, but they never were. Cause I never, I didn't have a DUI, right. I wasn't mm-hmm. fired from a job. I was mm-hmm. never arrested. Like all these things that I think, as I like to refer to Hollywood glamorizes with being alcohol an alcoholic, um, never happened to me. Right. So I was right. like, I did not fit society's definition. So I was fine. Right. Um, and I assume being immobilized with something like a knee surgery has got to be huge. And I have been dealing with some in comparison, extraordinarily minor, minor injuries that have still kind of like, I'm like, I just can't, I can't keep forcing myself to go run too soon and then hurt myself again and again and again. You know, and one of the things that I, the realization I came to is I just need to knock it off and let these things heal. But I'm trying to imagine 10 months of absolute immobility. And um, like, can you talk a little bit about those feelings and, and drinking during yep. that time? Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. Um, Cause I, I, I just kept thinking, I'm never going to run again. Right. Like I was in a lot of pain. Um, the surgery is pretty intense. Uh, the recovery twice as intense and they, you know, my surgeon after the surgery, you know, when he released me from the hospital, um, after 24 hours, he's like, now comes the hard part. And I had no idea what he was talking about. Right. First of all, I was in a drugged up haze. Um, because I was in so much pain, but I didn't realize he was talking about how hard recovery from my surgery was going to be. And um, it was horrible. Like I never thought I was going to run again. Um, And because of that, I started to drink more and more to, because again, running was such a huge part of who I, it's, it is such a huge part of who I am. I mean, my name on Instagram, right? Like it's, running in it so you know it's something I've done my entire life and it was just I think realizing that it it couldn't it might not be there anymore I just started to think and think and think and um again it was never on the weekdays that I drank 
Um, but I would go out with friends on the weekend and it would just be like having the beers because I didn't know how to process my, what I was feeling. Right. And just being, feeling stuck and that, that, yeah, the idea of trying to being in denial of the situation and feeling like you're going to have to grieve this thing that will never come back. Um, the death of, of this thing that I, and I, I imagine for you, it's, it's a mental thing as well, that the running kind of. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Relieves me it mentally. Is my Prozac. <laughs> yes. I always, yes. I, running is my Prozac, right? Like it is the days I didn't, I don't run now. Right. I walk, like I'm always doing something to, mm-hmm. to move my body. And it, I would say activity, like moving my body is my my antidepressant yeah, and my anxiety med. <clears throat> so what did the doctor say that, that day in the, in the office when you asked for help? What was the step? She's, she, she's like, well, she, she, first thing she did was like, okay, we're, we're going to have to tackle this in a different way. Um, but she's like, you, you have to stop drinking. She's like, are you ready to stop drinking? And I said, yes. And that, that was like September 12th. I think that was, it was a Friday, Um, you know, and then the 14th was the last day I had a beer. And then Mm -hmm. September 15th is, you know, my soberversary, my birthday, you know, whatever we want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, But that, that was the thing she said, like, are you prepared? So she she, you know, and then she's like, do you, do you want to go to, do you want to find meetings? Like, where do you, how do you want to do this? And like my uncle on my mom's side was an alcoholic and went through, um, you know, was, a you know, went through the 12 step and that was his big thing. And it, you know, and it, it I felt at the time it wasn't for me and it probably mm-hmm. still isn't for me because I just, I'm just a little different than <clears throat> that. So we um, made sure to get in touch with my insurance company um, and then my EAP through my employer, which is an employee assistance program. Um, they, uh, my, at the time, my employer offered um, therapy, set, like free therapy. So we immediately started, we found a therapist who works, you know, with alcoholics or substance abuse and um, started down that path. So Basically, on September 15th, 2019, I quit alcohol. Um, I quit sugar. I um, went low carb and low gluten. To knock all and, at and, once. Okay. <laughs> and and how, how was that? I mean, having to take away all the crutches at once, what do you, what do you, what are you hanging on to? Um, what are you standing up, you know, on? That my goal was that my, I had, um, my eye on the prize was the beginning of November 2019 was my final appointment with my sur- my knee surgeon to release me to run. Mm. And my doc, my primary doctor said she was not going to write a letter, you know, basically saying I'm cleared from her perspective to run um, until she saw some improvements, you know, physically with me because she was very concerned that I had gained so much weight so fast and that I was basically spiraling out of control. Yeah. And so 
what happened on that day with the, the surgeon? What did the surgeon say on the, in November? I was released to run. And what was, what was the first run like, or when, when did the first run occur? The first run or it occurred the Saturday after my appointment, my appointment was on a Friday, that Saturday <laughs> was, um, so that Friday after my appointment, I immediately went to the running store to get fitted for new shoes. Cause I wasn't going to, I was so terrified to, to give myself any extra hope by, by doing all that prep work ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So I went to the running store, got fitted for new shoes. And that Saturday morning was my very first run in over 10 <clears throat> or actually over maybe a year wow. I think, or 11 months. Wow. Yeah. Um. So, so in those first <clears throat> So you have a little more motivation, I think, in that there's also these these health issues. You know, when when people yeah. hear pre-diabetes, and I have I have friends who have been through this, and they've had to basically just you know hit the brakes and turn the car around entirely, and mm-hmm. just to get this get this glucose level back down to a normal place. And uh, from my understanding, it's surprising and scary how off the charts we can get it with the food that we eat and with the booze that we drink. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you're like, Oh, the number is supposed to be seven. And mine was at like, I don't know. I think it was like 200 or something, or maybe that maybe I'm over-exaggerating, but I think that was something like that. And um, in those first days, weeks, did you, I mean, how did you get through not having a drink? What was the, what was the, 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 what tools did you have at that point? You were going to therapy. It, yeah. So that's a great question. Um, yeah. The first three weeks, right. Cause that's when you're detoxing and your body, mm-hmm. deto- like I was detoxing everything at once, which was, I don't recommend to anyone to do what I did, but it was that dire of a situation from my doctor's perspective. Um, therapy. Um, I started going back to the gym. And I got myself on the exercise bike and um, made a, you know, I said, you know, I actually scheduled in my, my appointment with the gym um, to, you know, and it was hard. It was hard. Right. And I, you know, look at the pictures from back then. And I was like, you know, I, I try not to scold myself, right. For letting myself get that bad. Um, but therapy, and then um, my husband was a great supporter of that. And my closest friends who um, who knew what I was going for was, would always check in, make sure I was okay, and make sure I didn't need anything. But I would say for me, it was therapy because um, it was learning to process everything I hadn't processed in probably a good 15 years. Yeah. Can I... I I'm really curious about the word process and um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's also a thing that I hear from people. They'll say, um, you know, you got to do the work and it's always this, this phrase and these, this wording that is, it seems very vague and it also seems very daunting at the same time. And so I think a lot of people throw their hands up and go like, well, just supposed to do the work. What is the work? What do you mean? Process process? What my feelings of, you know, I don't know, but, um, what did you, how did you, what was the process? Can you talk a little bit more specifically about that? Sure. Um, I think the end goal, right. Was to learn to forgive myself 
um, right, and give myself grace, which is, you know, something uh, we, I, I think anybody who struggles with addiction, right, um, has, you know, and has come through the other side um, is learning on a daily basis. And I th it was really um, accepting that I am not perfect and it's okay to not be perfect. Like I had this image of myself that I had to keep, keep up, you know, kind of keeping up with the Joneses and my therapist at the time, we really worked on like um, understanding like why I felt that way and like why I felt I needed to do all those things. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really trying to like understand and work through my behavior on like why I did the things I did um, and learning to just sit with my feelings too. Like it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be, you know, happy, right? As long as like, as long as we're not spiraling from it, um, you know, at least for me, that's that, you know, yeah. everybody's different, but that was, that was the big thing for me about processing. It was like learning how to handle and having like different ways to, to handle the stressors. Like, it, yeah. you know, the first thing I would always do is go grab a beer, right? Like to handle the stressor and can't do that anymore. I, and you know what? It's not even that you can't do, I don't want to do it anymore. And I think that is the big <clears throat> takeaway is that it's just, I don't want it in my life anymore. Yeah. And you don't have to have it. I think, right. I think too, but we used to have to have it. It was a requirement to the point where my entire day was based around how I was going to get it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, how was that first run? Was it, was it difficult? Was it hard? Was it freeing? Was it all of the above? I, I mean, it was, it was everything. And right. Like I, I cried at the end, my husband came with me. So like I cried, it wasn't, it was like 20 minutes long. It wasn't very long and it was a run walk. Right. But it was mm -hmm. just to, to be able to do what I am most passionate about. Um, again, it, it was just, I was like, it's all worth it for me. It was everything the, the, I'll call my temper tantrums, um, my, my anger, you know, the frustration, it was all worth it to get to the place, to get to that place on that day. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I have to stop myself because sometimes people will ask me about it a little bit, you know, either at work or something, they'll ask me about running and I have to not get as excited as I do to talk to certain people. And I'm like, are mm -hmm. you sure you want to hear this? Cause I'll go on. And it's just, I, it's gotta be boring for you. Um, or, or annoying. Right. But there's this, this, like that feeling of like, Oh my God, I can do this. This is, this yeah. is what my body was built for. And this is where I feel free and feel the best. Um, it is, um, something that I don't think that I have ever felt in any other way from any other thing. And in 2020, I was, I was in a therapy session. I was doing some online therapy and the therapist said, uh, something to the effect of John, do you have anything else that you use to cope? And I said, no. And she said, well, you should really really 
try to find something else because if you don't have that, then you're going to be in trouble. And I don't want you to be in trouble. Um, have you found other things other than running that help you? I have. Um, it's a lot of it is all fitness related. So sure. yoga, mm -hmm. uh, weight, weightlifting is something I really, um, at the start of the pandemic, right. My gym shut down. I couldn't go to my gym anymore. So I was like, what am I going to do? Um, so I spent probably the first six months of the pandemic, um, building my, building up my, my home gym, right. With all the free weights. So, um, and I joined an online Vista, you know, Beach Body, um, if you're familiar with that. Mm -mm. And, and so I joined Beach Body and then I, um, you know, just started working out that way. And now I lift four days a week. I run four days a week. I do yoga one to two times a week. Um, and the other one thing I found really, really incredibly helpful was walking. Um, I think also at the start of the pandemic, I, with no races to focus on, I was, I was a little to, to what your therapist said, you're going to have to find something else or you might be in trouble. Like I started to <sighs> feel very overwhelmed, mm -hmm. um, that I didn't have something else to do. So walking became the days I didn't run walking became that thing. And and it's not fast walking, it's not power walking, it's really going for a nice four to five mile stroll. And just being outside, I, I listen to podcasts. So I started listening to your podcast, I listened to a couple other podcasts that I'm subscribed to. And that's my other, you know, coping mechanism is just doesn't matter how cold it gets here in Milwaukee. Um, I go outside every day I'm outside and just having that connection to nature and that beauty, um, it's a game changer. It, at least for me, it was a yeah. game changer. Um, did you find in the beginning of the pandemic or at any point during all of the, the more severe periods of it, I don't want to claim that we're out of it by any means, um, right, but um, did you find it difficult to stay sober? Did you have moments where you wanted to drink or thought it might be okay? You know, believe it or not, I, I didn't have those moments because I was a very social drinker. I, did, I didn't really drink at home. Um, mm -hmm. I was all about going out to the bars and, you know, being that party girl. And, um, you know, the, you know, I don't have alcohol in my house, obviously. So it wasn't a, and I wasn't the one going to the grocery store at the time. My husband was shopping during the beginning of the pandemic. So I never saw like, it was never in my mind be like, oh, it'd be really great if I, you know, I just, I never had that, the urge, right? Like I, um, it, it can, I, I guess I get so focused on like, I wanted to stay healthy and I knew yeah. like alcohol can suppress your immune system. And like, you know, the beginning of the, nobody knew what was happening. Right. And it was right. like, you were t absolutely terrified of whatever this thing was that was right. shutting, literally shutting the world down. Yeah. So, I mean, I know, I know it's been quite um, a, quite a thing for people. I mean, the, 
the addictions and the overdoses during the pandemic have just escalated to something, you know, new heights that we haven't seen. And I'm just the the gratitude I have for myself to stay so grounded in, in my belief system and, and like what I need to do for myself is I think really helps keep me centered with it. Okay. And then, um, so speaking of belief systems and stuff like that, I, I, I'm also intrigued and interested when I hear from people who get sober, stay sober and want to stay sober, um, who don't follow the same program that I do because the program mm -hmm. that I follow, the 12 steps that I follow makes sense to me. And, and that's fine. Like I'm all for any which way that you can do it and live a better life. I'm just always curious as to what does your program, what is it centered around um, that the belief system, the program, what is it that sobriety, um, what in sobriety has replaced what drinking gave you? That's a great question, because I know people are often, how did you do it? Like, why did you do it? Right? Because you follow us 12 steps. And the answer is I didn't. And I think for me, it's just um, being present in my life, um, being present in my job, like doing mm -hmm. my job well, um, being present in my relationship with my husband. Um, you know, all those things suffered when I was drinking, even though I didn't recognize or to, again, another, you know, you don't see those flags, right? Even though people yeah. say things to you, you're like, oh, I'm fine, right? Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't need to hear that. But I think for me, it's just always being present um, and just the centering in on gratitude. Like every, every morning I wake up and I list the five things in a journal that I'm grateful for. And even before I go to bed, I write the five things that I was grateful for that occurred in the day. So I'm very centered in on gratitude and staying present in, in my life and those that are important in my life. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, of writing, um, writing it down, writing in general, <clears throat> excuse me, even if it's only that gratitude list, right? Even if that's yeah. the only thing <clears throat> that one writes. Um, and I've had a couple of other people who have, um, who've asked me for <clears throat> advice and I've said, go get a journal. <clears throat> it doesn't have to be, <clears throat> excuse me, something fancy or leather bound. I know that <clears throat> nope. a lot of people will, um, pardon me. <clears throat> a lot of people will want to get a big fancy notebook and they'll want to get a pen and then, and then it'll be too fancy and too cool to use. And then it will sit there and it won't, it won't actually do what it's supposed to be doing. And so I always tell people go to the dollar store, go to the drug store and get the cheapest, thinnest, whatever notebook, because it's really, this is not about something that you're going to even share with the world. You may not even go back and reread it. I haven't read most of mine, but right. um. <clears throat> the daily practice of just writing things down has been super helpful to me. Um, and I don't know, obviously you do it every single twice a day. So it makes yeah. a huge difference of just putting it, does. it like, paper. Again, those, those <laughs> little folk, like those little things to focus mm -hmm. on are really what helps keep um, me moving forward. I think, you know, at the start when I was going, started with therapy, my therapist recommended there like, put five things that you want to accomplish daily and hang it up on your bathroom mirror. And that's what I did. Like things mm -hmm. like, I mean, and it was like very task-based, but very simple, like 
brushing your teeth twice a day, right? Showering, right? Like just the very eating, eating what you're on your plan, right? That your dietitian has prescribed to you. Like it was very basic things, but it was like, you know, you took a step back and you recognized, wow, that all this has not been part of my life for a very long time, right? Like those simple basic tasks, really, you're like, after a while, right, you develop the pattern and like a healthy pattern and it stays with you. And, um, you know, those little, those little tips and tricks I learned in the beginning from the therapist I saw then it was, uh, she, she was amazing and, you know, a huge part why yeah. I'm still sober today. Yeah. And then once you can get yourself to brush your teeth twice a day, and then you can build on top of that and on top of right. that and on top of that. And it doesn't, it sounds, um, it doesn't sound like much, but it's a big deal in those, especially in the early days of, mm-hmm. of recovery of sobriety and trying to rebuild this life so that you don't want to or need to go drink, you know? Right. Um, it was all very overwhelming in the beginning, sure. right? Like there, it, there's, you didn't have your hiding. I didn't have my hiding mechanism anymore. Yeah. And that's so, hiding is a good word. Cause you know, what are we hiding and what are we hiding from? And it's yep. usually, like you said, something we have not processed in our own life. Um, Another thing you said, uh, Milwaukee, uh, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know anything. Of, the only thing I knew about Milwaukee was Milwaukee's best ice, um, because <laughs> of the alcohol content. And I think, uh, perhaps mm-hmm. blue ribbon. Right. And we always used to joke yep. and say, who was giving out the blue ribbons that day? Cause this is terrible. Right. So living in a place where alcohol is the culture, I live in wine country. Um, some might say it's a little more elevated. It's just more expensive way of getting drunk. But um, <clears throat> but how do you cope? And now, like, say you go on a race and a run, and I'm sure there are runs where it's like a beer every mile, right? Things like that. Mm-hmm. They do those kinds of things. Now that you um, are not drinking, you're not going out on the weekends, maybe your coworkers where they like, hey, and I know the pandemic has kind of changed and shifted, you know, dynamics for sure. But, um, hey, Kim, where are you? Or uh, what do you mean you don't want to have a beer? Or um, you're not going to run this race with us? Or you're not going to stop and get a beer every mile? I mean, how have you coped with being so ensconced in a heavy, heavy drinking culture where you live? It's another good question. And I think it's just mm. I surrounded myself with people that absolutely respect me and my where I am in my life. Um, mm. I. I've actually found some runner friends who also don't drink um, at all. Um, they're not, they, they don't have an addiction, but they, they've chosen not to just drink alcohol, which is, you know, rewind a few years and I would have looked at them sideways, or I think there was something wrong with them. And these days I absolutely appreciate that because I don't feel like I'm the only one right out there yeah. anymore. And, and I'm not a big um, people pleaser. I'm the furthest thing probably from a people pleaser, but knowing I'm not the only one who's not drinking, it it kind of does take a little bit of the pressure off. And if somebody, you know, nobody, in the beginning people, when I said, no, thank you, I'm not, I don't drink. 
um, you know, you heard the stereo, like women in general be like, oh, are you pregnant? Right? Like that is like what, when women say they don't drink, that is like the first thing that jumps to people's minds. And it's just, you know, I would roll my eyes and say, no, I, mm-hmm. I'm choosing not to drink. Right. And if it's somebody that I, you know, within my circle uh, of trust, like I will share it out. Um, but if it's people, I will not waste my energy on and explaining why I don't drink. Like, I'm just like, whatever. Right. Like, right. so I think surrounding myself with people who um, don't drink or people who, <clears throat> who do drink, but absolutely respect where I am in my journey um, has been the game changer too. Cause no, you know, I can, go to a bar and have a club soda and mm-hmm. be fine. If I have um, those people around me, I don't know if I would feel comfortable going to a bar by myself. I have never tried it. I, I don't yeah. want to try it. Right. I don't need to try it. Um, but if it so happens that I end up in a bar with, you know, people that I trust and know where I am in my journey, I don't feel that pressure at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think finding, finding people that you can, that will support your decision is crucial. Um, I have, you know, I have a friend I see semi-regularly and he still drinks, but there's no pressure from him to drink. And I think Mm -hmm. that he would be probably horrified if he thought that his drinking was going to affect me or something like that. Right. Um, and he's, he's, he's invited me out and I've been out, um, at a bar with him before and I have my club soda, but once I've had like maybe two and I'm looking around and I'm like, I, my business is done here. I have no more. I'm not interested any further. Right. You know, like I'm, I've, it's been about 30 minutes and this is kind of boring. So I'm going to go. (laughs) You guys have fun. Right. You're like, I'll catch you later. Uh Uh-huh. But it's just, and it's just like, I don't find it interesting anymore. And it used to be the most interesting thing in the world. You're right. It's like what your life revolved around, right? It was like the corner bar still was yours and you sat there and like Mm -hmm. now I'm just like, it was, it was interesting. My husband and I um, went to a concert Saturday night. It was our first concert you know, in the pandemic, what a endemic, whatever everybody's calling mm-hmm. it. Um, so it was, it, and there were some very um, intoxicated people there. Um, and it was just in, I was like fascinated because I was like, number one, I'm like, oh gosh, I used to look like that. And I was like, so I was a little bit horrified, but then I kind of felt sorry for them because it was like, are you even going to remember what you heard and experienced? Um, and the answer is probably no, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, these people were falling down, like somebody toppled down the stairs. And, um, you know, it was probably the first concert. It was probably my second concert um, indoors sober. Um, and I like, I remember every se- single second of it, every song that was played, every, every movement, right? That's mm-hmm. the that the band did it, the light show, everything about it. And I was like, it was just such a different experience. And Who it, was it? It was amazing. Who did you It was see? the war on drugs. I only know that there's one song I know and I can't, it sounds like a Bruce Springsteen song and I can't remember the name of it. But, the new um, one that's, yeah, I don't live here anymore. Is it? I don't, I, newer. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like Springsteen. Yeah. Okay. Um, but so it was awesome. It was an awesome show. 
Oh, it was, it was amazing. It was, I, you know, I had at one point I said to my husband, I was like, I have to go to the bathroom, but I am not leaving because I'm enjoying this experience so much. I was like, so I will wait until the show is over. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, it was amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you know, you can't really tell those people that are falling down drunk that like you're missing out on this other thing because they would probably say the same thing about you. They're like, what do you mm-hmm. mean? You're missing out on it. And so mm-hmm. I think the other thing is that people are just ready when they're ready and you can't force them and, to be ready. And and that's, the, that's, I think, the biggest lesson I've learned, right, was when everybody's like, well, how did you know it was your time? Like, you just, you, I say that to everybody, I was, I was tired of my own shit, right? You get to the mm-hmm. point where you're just tired of your own shit and and I was like, but everybody's got to get to that point. And I mean, I know people are like, well, rock bottom. And I'm like, that's not a phrase I like. Um, I heard, um, I was listening to a different podcast and they talked about hitting the floor. And mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting, interesting concept too. Cause I don't, everybody has a different place where they feel like they get tired of their own shit. And then there's people who never get tired of their own shit. Um, but when you're ready, it's your point, you know, when you're ready and only you can make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, we've, we, I've talked about it before with people where, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, the rock bottom, there's a mid bottom. There's all people who have a high bottom. Like it doesn't, you don't have to hit the floor. You don't have to lose everything. You don't have to lose anything right. to make a decision to quit drinking. And right. you certainly don't have to join my cult. So, you know, it's like it, it, it it's uh, it there's 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 many different ways to do this. And um, so I don't think <clears throat> I would if anybody's listening that 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 thinks they have to hit rock, rock bottom, I would say absolutely not. It is not right. a prerequisite for getting sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so let me ask you about running now <clears throat> in twenty twenty two. Mm-hmm. You just finished a race, right? You went to New Orleans. Is that correct? I did. I, did. I, I ran the rock and roll half marathon in New Orleans. How was that? Yep. Two weeks. It was great. I, it was chilly for New Orleans, mm-hmm. right? It was probably, it was warm for me. I got to run in shorts and a tank top in February. So I think that's exciting. I mean, it was great. Um, it, it was, again, New Orleans is another party city, but mm-hmm. I, um, I just didn't put myself in, in a situation that I didn't want to be in. Right. Yeah. So I didn't go to the French quarter. I, I don't like the French quarter anymore. It's, I don't, it's not my scene <laughs> at all. I'm like, you know, at, at, I'll be 49 next week. And I'm just like, Oh man, like I am too old for this, yeah. like, this nonsense, this staying up late nonsense. Yeah. Even just, even after the concert, I was exhausted that, you know, on Sunday, I was like, Oh, um, but it was, it was like running is going so well, knock on the wood. Um, my knee is doing really phenomenal. Um, my surgeon is over the moon every time, every six months I go in for a checkup and he is just over the moon with how far I've come. And, you know, he too is a big believer of that, you know, me focusing in on the, on quitting alcohol has really um, been a lifesaver for me, like emotionally yeah. and physically. Yeah, I was in New Orleans in 2017 and walking through the French Quarter. And I was just like, I think 
I mean, I wasn't horrified because I had seen similar things before, you know, <laughs> but it was a, I was pretty disgusted. Um, <laughs> it was in this was the middle of the afternoon, you know, and people are stumbling out of the bars and um, mm -hmm. they're stumbling into them. And there was like some really sad hot dog vendor next to a horse who was shitting in the middle of the street. And I was like, my yep. God. And I was I was on my way. Um, I went and found a meeting there, which was I ended up having a, a really awesome time at the meeting. But um, I was like, oh, God, this is horrible you would have to be drunk to be here. Um, and, you know, no disrespect to New Orleans because we got to be in a second line and we had some awesome music on Frenchman Street and had a, we had an amazing time, but the 15 minutes that I walked through the French Quarter was not part of that. Yeah, I, I don't recommend the French Quarter <laughs> to anybody. I, mm. I mean, I would say put your toe on, on Bourbon Street to say you, you put your toe on Bourbon Street, but then... Go mm -hmm. uptown, go to the Garden District, go to, you know, there's so many other amazing places in New Orleans that you don't have to go, that do not, you know, are not what uh, mm -hmm. the French Quarter is. Okay, so I want to, so I want to ask you some personal advice. Sure. Um, and so this is strictly for me. So anyone who's, who's listening, who you can fast forward through this, if you don't want to hear about my running nonsense, go ahead and do that now. Um, but I really need your advice because over the last year and a half, you know, 2019 was the most amazing, um, epic year of my life in recent history. I lost 90 pounds. I started running. I ran my first half marathon in Joshua Tree. I thought that I was, I was over the moon about it all. I had it all dialed in. And then March 2020 came. And then it, by May of 2020, I had been off the diet, other injuries and just aches and pains. My ankle started hurting. And, you know, recently uh, the Morton's neuroma, there's a nerve in the bottom of my foot that is like, it's impossible to go for a run. Like it's literally a sharp stabbing pain. I pulled a muscle in my back, swinging a kettlebell around because I didn't know what I was doing. And then just recently I was trying to do some sort of like one footed knee squats, trying to strengthen something. And I pulled something else and I'm like, damn it. You know, like these things keep happening to me. I've since gained 25 pounds back 30 pounds, which again is not huge. And, um, I'm still walking and I'm upright and all of these things. Um, but I was just like, you know what, I'm done beating myself up. And like, I keep going out there and then I set myself back and then I keep going out there too soon. And I set myself back and I'm so frustrated. I just want to like wrap up all the running shoes and put them in the closet and forget all about it because I'm just tired of like, I feel as if, you know, it's like Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football. And I feel like I have a good day and I get excited and I go out there and then something else absolutely ruins it. And, um, I am trying very hard to find grace and forgiveness and get excited about being on the bicycle and I'm finding it very difficult and I'm, but I'm also just like, I'm fucking done. Like, you know, maybe I have, I have made this identity as a runner. It was a foolish thing, you know, to do it. And I just want to quit and be done because Obviously, my body does not want me to run. At least that's how it feels. And it feels like a dirty, dirty trick that my mind is playing or my body is playing on my mind. And I'm just like, this is all bullshit. And I'm tired. And I just want to scream and cry and then
be done with it and move on with my life and go eat a whole bag of cookies. And I should say, if I'm being honest, eat a whole another bag of cookies because I've already done that recently. So how do I process this current feeling of anger and frustration and rage at myself? And, <laughs> and I'm just, these are just mild um, injuries that I'm dealing with, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it, that's how it, I'm feeling, if that makes sense. I, I, an injury, an injury, regardless of how severe, if it stops you from doing something you enjoy, it, it's severe, right? Like yeah. in the medical, like I will get it from a mental perspective, it's severe if it stops you. Um, it's tough because I, I don't, I think you do, it sounds like you absolutely do need to give your body a break. Um, you know, and it's like, maybe you were trying to do too much too, right? Like sometimes they say that too, that, you know, you start doing too much or too many different things mm -hmm. causes injury too. Um, but it, it's tough. Like that's, that's hard. Like it's a hard question to answer. Cause it's like, how, well, I don't, um, and I, I'm not, I, there's no, absolutely no pressure. Yeah. You are not responsible no, for my, <laughs> right. I, I mean, for me personally, like I, as much as, you know, I've learned that there are there are days and weeks that you just, and even sometimes a month, you just have to take off from running. And yeah, the what what um, you know, I think the struggle then becomes is what do you find in its place to help be that, you know, that coping mechanism? Because yeah. I, I I will say that one thing I have learned through recovery. Um, is a lot of us do run as part of our program, right? Or there's, yeah. there's some sort of activity in our lives as part of the program. And I would be similar to you where I would struggle with the bike. I think it was one of you, I saw one of your posts about trying to like the bike or something. And I was just like, I feel you. I absolutely feel your pain because it is just it is just not enjoy. It's not the same thing. It's just not the same thing. You know? I mean, I, I, I it's, it's, it's fine. I've had some lovely bike rides in the evening here in right. wine country and the vineyards and all that stuff, but like, it's, it's pretty, but it's just like, it's not the same. And, um, it's, if you're not a runner, people like have no idea what you're talking about. Right. So, right. um, you know, I will say knock on wood since all of this has happened. I haven't had to, my longest shutdown was 10 days. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because I get a knee injection every six months. It's not a it's not a steroid injection. It's actually hyaluronic acid into my knee joint to help, um, you know, cushion it. But, and usually I have to take off um, seven to 10 days, depending on how it feels. So that's been the longest time I've not, I've gone without running since you know, getting sober. Um, but it's a hard question. It's, yeah, it's I, like, I'm... I don't think anything can replace it. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do everything that I can. Um, but it was definitely, and also you're probably right because there was a period, I was going out like every single day I would have to run. So it was like seven days a week. Yeah. And even there were people who were regular runners who were like, that might be too much. And I'm like, no, it's fine. I mean, it's sore. I'm sore, but it's like, did it really just catch up with me that quickly? And did it sort of, yeah. did it converge with my age? Does that really have, do I have mm -hmm. to, like, is it really that bad that like, am I in my mid forties? And so things just 
take longer and break easier, <clears throat> fine. You know, so I'm just like, grace, forgiveness, use all the tools yeah. of recovery and, and yes. apply them here. Yes. Yes. Uh, there are even, you know, in my, in my work life, right. My professional career that my recovery tools come in handy because yeah. <laughs> there are moments, right. I, I can see it. I see it in running with an injury and, you know, and you've, like you said, you've had quite a few that have just, they've happened right on top of each other. So that's not been really helpful yeah. for you either. Yeah. I was given some reprieve for the half marathon in San Francisco and I was able to do it. And it was an absolute amazing day. I was, um, I was excited to see that you did finish it. <laughs> yes. Yes. I finished and it felt good and it felt good afterwards. Um, it's very rare that you get a 60 degree day with zero clouds in San Francisco in February. Yeah, that's true. And like, it couldn't have been better. You know, you're running across, you know, parallel to the Pacific ocean and back. And like, it was, it was absolutely amazing. So I'm extremely grateful that my body allowed me to do that. And then, you know, what the day after or the next day I tried to go out and I was like, I couldn't get down the driveway. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, I was like, okay, well, let's just not try to, let's not abuse ourselves for the next three miles. Let's just turn around and, and take a break. Um, are there any things that you, you struggle with in sobriety now? I mean, are there any, or I should say, let me, what are, what are the challenges or are there any struggles? Are there any challenges you find currently? I, you know, I, I am still, um, I guess, unpacking, if you will, um, some of the, some of the emotions and some of the things I went through, um, that I hid, like, those feelings during, you know, while I was like, I, I don't have a very good relationship with my family. So um, there was a lot of mental illness in my family. My sister um, was bipolar. She was also um, with diagnosis lupus. She's no longer here with us. Um, but, you know, a lot of the things that I experienced from my childhood, like that trauma, that mm -hmm. emotional trauma, um, that was, oh, I, I always had swept it under the rug, I would say has just started to kind of come to the surface. So, um, you know, and I thought it was all water under the bridge, right? And I'm learning that it's not, and it's probably part of, you know, and just one more thing I buried and, you know, hid with drinking. So I think that's probably my biggest right now is yeah. the, um, the PTSD in a way of, um, you know, my therapist said it's PTSD of um, dealing, recognizing that, you know, it's okay that I don't have that relationship with my family. Because if I hear one more time, oh, you should fix your, your relationship with your family. I'm like, just because you have a good relationship with your family doesn't mean I should too, right? It's, mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's a lot of right there, I think, the struggle um, emotion on the emotional side um, is still a big thing for me. Like I can see why I drank um, yeah. to hide those feelings because those feelings suck. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and then, um, what would you, somebody who maybe feels like 
They, you know, they have a high bottom, mid bottom, somebody who's, who's thinking about it, but is like, yeah, it's not really a problem or, um, you know, maybe struggling with a little bit, but they're like, I can, I can, I can handle this. What would you suggest to them? What would be some, some advice to somebody who might be thinking about taking a break or cutting it out? You know, I, I think there's a lot of information out there um, available now versus like, you know, probably when we were growing up. But I think, sure. you, you know, if you're a researcher, do your research. I mean, I, I don't, um, if you, I always say this, like, if you are have, if you're employed <laughs> and your employer offer, offers an employee assistance program, there probably is some free counseling available to you. Yeah. Go talk to somebody. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe it is a problem, maybe it isn't a problem, right? Like only, you know, you can figure that out for yourself. But I, I will say the value of an employee assistance program, um, if it's available has been, you know, and then it's been, it's, it's amazing. And then there's all this online um, therapy that's out there now. And I think you have to be careful because there's probably some crazy out there as well. But again, I, I think do your research. I mean, there's a lot of good, um, sober Instagram accounts, right? I think the, the sober community on Instagram is pretty powerful. Um, there's some really amazing people out there. I mean, like I stumbled upon you, um, you know, and I think just by, you know, looking at it and researching it and, you know, reaching out is, is um, it's okay to be like, I don't know if I have a problem, right? Because you don't know, right? Like society will tell you, you don't have a problem, but at the same time, they will tell you you have a problem. So it's. Yeah. Little, I'm sure there was a Super Bowl ad or two that says you don't have a problem and you should drink <laughs> oh, some more. Or, or 20 or 30. <laughs> or 20. So what's, what's yeah. the next race? What's the next thing? What's the next, uh, do you have one set up yet or no? I do. Okay. I have a 10 K this weekend. Okay. So I'm running a 10K. I do a winter run series. So I have that 10K for February this weekend. And then my next half marathon, because that's my my big quest now, my big goal is to run a half marathon in every state and DC. Um, so my next one is March 5th in the Woodlands, Texas, is my next half marathon. Awesome. So I get to check Texas off my list. Awesome. That's exciting. Yes, it is. That's awesome. Um yeah, that's great. I will, um, I will be working on the patients. I'm going to go for a bike ride after we're done here and, um, continue to let everything just not to just rest. Um, but I will be looking forward to seeing you in Texas and, um, I'm always excited to see your posts and the photographs and the progress and all that stuff. So it's always fun to, to check you out there. Where can people find you on Instagram if they would like to? Sure. It's at running Kimmy. Um, and it's K-I-M-M-E-Y. There's an E in there because, you know, it's running and then Kimmy. Got it. K-I-M-M-E-Y. <clears throat> um, yeah. Well, Kim, thank you so much. This was great. It was nice to meet you and talk with you. It was awesome. This is um, great. Thanks so much for having me, Don. Yeah, you bet. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>